Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2022. We are the peachbasket.net, a site dedicated to amplifying the voice of passionate basketball fans worldwide. And this is Run It Back. The voice of the fans. Drop a bounce pass, throw down the rim rocker. Lay up off the glass, right past the shot blocker. A follow through like Kobe's money. You can cash it. For news on LA hoops, come over to Peach Basket. Today's sports, post-game reports, debates and play-by-play coming straight off the court. The voice of the fan making noise, causing havoc. Zone a man up, you can ask Peach Basket. The Peach Basket, coming tune on there. The Peach Basket, where the news begins. We're dropping news, like we're in the stands. Creative views from the average fans. Normally, we review the week that was in the NBA, but tonight, after taking a few weeks off for the holidays, we're back with a special edition of our show. Tonight, we'll be talking to Jeremy Treatman. Mr. Treatman was in the news recently for having discovered cassette tapes of his interview with the then 17-year-old Kobe Bryant. In addition to being a close confidant of young Kobe, Mr. Treatman, Treatman is the founder and co-owner of Play-by-Play Sports Broadcasting Camps and president and founder of Scholastic Play-by-Play Classics, which has been organizing, operating, and televising high school and college basketball tournaments nationwide since 2000. Before that, he was a sports editor, reporter, and writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We want to talk to Mr. Treatman about all that and more with our panel, which includes alumni from the Play-by-Play Sports Broadcasting Camps, Isaac Edelman, and Theodore Fernandez. I'm Jose Salviati, editor at thepeachbasket.net, reminding you to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code T-B-P-N. That's promo code T-B-P-N. And thank you for joining us tonight. And a special thank you to Mr. Treatman for taking time to be with us. Isaac Edelman was instrumental in putting this together. So, Isaac, the first question is yours. Thank you. And, of course, thanks to Jeremy for coming on. So, Jeremy, obviously um, you had the honor of coaching Kobe Bryant in high school. What is your, you know, your favorite moment with Kobe and the one moment you will always cherish with him? I think my favorite moment was winning the state championship because – Kobe talked about that for about two years, and I don't think too many people outside of the inner circle, maybe Coach Greg Downer, his head coach, myself as one of the assistants, and actually in 11th grade, I was actually a his media guy, really, I, and I was his media guy in 12th grade, too. I was the TV reporter and the, the newspaper writer covering Kobe, um, but to see him win the state championship and see the team jump together uh, is the ultimate memory. And as you know, Isaac and Theodore knows this as well. I made a uh, all-encompassing tape of the senior year, Kobe senior year, high school at Moran called one, and I, I modeled it after one shining moment from the NCAA. And just watching Kobe watch it for the first time was, was pretty cool and watching all the teammates watch it. So in terms of a singular moment, I would say it would have to be that. Awesome. Well, uh, Jeremy, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but you did have a special relationship with Kobe for a coach. Considering how close you were, did you notice any traces of this Mamba mentality that has made him so famous in high school? Definitely, definitely. So uh, I was close to him when Kobe came back from Italy, middle of eighth grade through his senior year, maybe through his first year in the league uh, with the Lakers. Those were the years I, w- I was close to Kobe. Um, and I would say, I'll give you two two examples of the mama mentality. So being a, a friend of the family first, and then being a media, uh, media member who covered Kobe ninth through 12th grade, and having that inside track, I knew him in those two regards. But getting to be part of the coaching staff the, the, that last year, 95-96, was a whole nother a whole nother thing to see Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, and the work ethic, and the mentality, and the attitude, and all the things that made him great. Um, so one, so two stories. I've kind of made these stories famous, but uh, we had 
uh, the 15th guy on the varsity uh, that year, the 95-96 team, was a guard about your side, Isaac, probably about as fast as Theodore, and probably with the jump shot of Mr. Peach Basket over here. And uh, he was on the team, and he would just do anything he could uh, to be part of it. And he was a real hustler, and he played mostly JV. And we had a three-on-three full-court drill, as I remember, and somehow I was the coach who was on that side of the court when, when they had the ball. And it was a tie game up to 10. And it was 9-9, to nine, I believe. And this guy, Rob Schwartz, had the ball. And Kobe was at the top of the key with his hand up. Rob, ball, Rob, give me the ball. Rob, give me the ball. And Rob, at five foot four says, you know what? I'm going to use the number one high school player in the country as a decoy right here. He fakes a pass to Kobe takes one hard dribble, goes to the basket against whoever he was guarding. I don't remember who it was. And he clanks it off the rim. The other team got the rebound, went down, and scored. And Kobe took the ball and just, like, spiked it. And he glared at Rob Schwartz. Uh, This was multitasking before I knew what multitasking was. He did the remaining hour and 13 minutes of the practice, whatever it was and never took his eyes off Rob Schwartz while shooting, while doing foul shots, while running. He never took us. He glared at him. He didn't smile for the next hour and 13 minutes. I was scared. I was petrified. <laughs> I was terrified. Uh, so uh, Robbie, Robbie was terrified. He, he, he followed him to the water fountain. He followed him to the bathroom. Um, you know, it, it was a real eye opener. And I'm driving home, and I'm like, I thought Kobe was the nicest person in the world. I love Kobe. Like, why is he pick such a jerk to the 15th guy on the team who's, who, who isn't that good? And I guess this isn't important. Why, 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 why? And I, I was driving the car, and I come to a red light, and I went, I literally went like this. Oh, my God. I get it. That's what makes him great. He hates to lose. I call up Coach Downer. I said, did we – or cell phones, so I had to wait till I get home. I go, did we see something historic here tonight? I, I'm, I'm, what, what am I missing about what happened out there? He goes, Jeremy, you just witnessed Kobe Bryant losing the first and only drill of his high school career, and he is pissed. And I, I mean, you know, if I didn't wasn't part of the team, I would never know a story like that. I would never know the early mom mentality, as you asked, Taylor. So that's one story, <laughs> and that story has been chronicled now for, for a while, but the story never gets old because it's just mind-blowing. The second great Mamba mentality story that I can think of is one day we had a practice, and Lower Marine High School is just a regular high school, and the athletic director uh, overbooked the gym, forgot there was a wrestling match. We were in the side gym about to practice, and he goes, guys, I'm really sorry, but uh, the girls actually have the gym today. Uh, with wrestling, there's there's no place to do boys basketball. So you can imagine 14 young men were high-fiving. Whoa, no practice. We're out of here. Uh, Downer, Garrett, Coach Downer said, all right, you guys can go. He was like in shock and very upset. One guy decided not to leave. One guy had a ball in his hand and kept throwing it against the wall. And he was yelling stuff that I can't repeat here on the Peach Basket or else I could get myself in trouble. But he was cursing profusely. And that was Kobe Bryant. It's like, we have to practice. We're going for state championship. This is ridiculous. And I'm saying these are the nice words, not the words he actually used. And I just watched him. He, he didn't leave. So I didn't leave. I just watched him. And he practiced by himself on the side. When the girls weren't on, one, on the court, he would use their court. And what what high school player would do that? Like, you know, the rest of the team, knowing we were good and we're a state championship contender, they were excited to leave. And Kobe Bryant was mad. So that those were two mama mentalities. Wow. So let me follow up on that because that's, that's fascinating to me, having played the game and knowing that um... – you know, if somebody would have canceled practice uh, inadvertently or, or on purpose, I would have been one of the excited ones. There's no doubt about it. Um, have you seen anybody else before or since that had that kind of mentality? I, I've got to win every game. I've got to win every practice. Um, or was that unique to Kobe? It's pretty unique at that at that level to that particular 
what's the word I can use here to, to the level we saw that those in those two instances. Um, I run high school basketball events all over the country now. And the girls basketball event we do is called the Maggie Lucas Classic. And Maggie Lucas was a girl from Lower Marion who didn't play for Lower Marion. She went to a private school called Germantown Academy. And then she played at Penn State. She was in the WNBA for a while. And now she's playing overseas. I think she's in Italy. Maggie Lucas is the only person I've ever seen with the Kobe mentality. She's had three wow. major knee surgeries. Instead of just retiring and going on with her life, she's 30 years old and she's still playing works out like a fiend, you know, like Kobe would, two, three, four times a day, five, six hours a day. Um, she's Her six-pack has a six-pack. Her six-pack probably has two six-packs. And I always tell her, I go, I, I don't know anybody else who has the mentality uh, at this age than, than you. You remind me of Kobe. Um, you know, obviously not that, that level of skill, but um, I, there's lots of other examples of great high school players or college players that I've seen really, really work hard and really go for it and yeah. get, get, you know, make sure their social life doesn't interfere, family life doesn't interfere to get where they want to go. But I've seen way more the other way. I've seen way more people who are just happy as Kobe in 9th, 10th, and 11th grade, you know, you know, over the last 25 years, 30 years of me following high school sports who didn't want it, who, who, who weren't willing to put in work or didn't have that kind of attitude and could have been, you know, an NBA all-star, perennial all-star, you know, but, but never got to there because they, they didn't have what Kobe had inside of him. Yeah, and that, that was actually kind of my follow-up question. Is, 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 is that kind of mentality something you can coach? And, and I don't think it is, right? It's something that you either have it or you don't. You can, as a coach, present it. But they've got to accept that and work to to you know to to get that kind of mentality. Is that is that accurate? That's pretty accurate. But I would say there are coaches at the high at the youngest level, uh, AAU, middle school, church teams, synagogue teams, high school, college, um, who are motivating masters. If you were lucky enough to have a motivating master. I think you were in luck. I think if you had Phil Jackson coaching you, you were probably 10 to 15% better as an NBA player than if you were on a team with a bad NBA coach. So I think that part, yes, I think coaching does have a factor. And I do think your upbringing has a factor, but most of it comes from within you. And yeah. with, with Kobe, I would, I would say that that was all him. Uh, but Coach Downer taught, knew what he was doing at the high school level. And even though he was a young coach at 33 years old, he always had he, – he was he would stay up at night and think of motivating things to the next practice. And how do I keep Kobe, Kobe stimulated? How do I make sure that I'm not going to screw up the number one high school player in the country? Uh, he went right to the NBA. So I don't really know what it was like when he played for Del Harris or Kirk Rambis or eventually Bill Jackson. Uh, but – I'm pretty sure that Greg Down will always be his favorite coach. Yeah, Isaac, and I saw you starting to form a question. I'm sorry. We, we do have a, a question from online that just popped up. And, and I wanted to say, you know, for those of you watching, if you do have a question, uh, something you're curious about, feel free uh, to ask. Uh, we are getting questions from YouTube and Facebook. Um, here's the first one. We talked a little bit about this, I, I think, already, but uh, uh, Tom wants to know uh, what makes Kobe Bryant such a special player and how long did you know him? Um, okay, Tom, thanks for uh, chiming in. It's pretty cool that you're getting some uh, fan participation here and uh, show participation. I would say I, I do Kobe from 1992 to 2001 very well. And after that, once or twice a year, on average, I'd see him and it would feel like old times, but I really didn't have a relationship from 2001 to 2020. But uh, I did have he Kobe to give me the rights to use his name for the Kobe Bryant Classic, which I've been running at uh, Lower Marion High School um, all these years, like the last 11 years. This is uh, my company. This is our program book. These are the events. Here's Kobe when he uh, played with us at Lower Marion. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, yeah, I think you can see it. Mm -hmm. um, so one one of the events that I run um, is the Kobe Bryant Classic. And Tom, he gave me the inspiration to start these play-by-play -play classics all over the country uh, to showcase top, top players. Um, what makes him such a special player? Um, I'd say three things. His genes, um, 
his dad and mom have NBA genes. His dad was a great player, an all-star uh, player in Italy, the best player playing overseas internationally in the uh, mid-90s. And he played for the Sixers. He played for the Clippers. He was a first-round NBA draft pick. He was six foot ten, and he had ball handling drill, uh, skills, which was like unheard of back in the seventies. Um, so he was an icon, iconic player. He obviously didn't achieve the, the fame of Kobe or the stardom that Kobe did. Um, number two is work ethic, desire. Um, three is natural talent. Um, but but four is is the mama mentality, which separates himself from other people's great work ethics. I mean, lots of people can work hard, but if you're not talented you're not going to be great. So he had the great talent. He had the great work ethic and he had a plan in his head. Uh, Kobe, Kobe worked in succession steps and he had it all in his head when he was going to get here, when he was going to get the gear, what it was going to take to get the gear. And I don't know where that comes from because most people at that young age don't think like that. So I have to think uh, his dad and mom have, oh, his mom's, his mom's brother, Chubby Cox also played in the NBA and his mom was also a great athlete. I'd have to say uh, a lot of it was genetics, a lot of it was his family, a lot of it was his upbringing, uh, being the only African-American family living in Italy as a young kid and just spending a lot of time playing by himself and, and working on fundamentals. So he was so gifted fundamentally coming to the United States at age 13, uh, more, than a, more than an average middle schooler here in the USA. And but, all those things. There's no, no, just one thing. Yeah. Oh, Isaac, I think you're muted. Oh, sorry. When coaching Kobe Bryant at the high school level, did you have any idea that he would be an NBA player, let alone a Hall of Famer? All right. So I'm not just saying this, but yes. Yes, and I'm going to tell you a true story. And there is a book right now that I collaborated on. Mike Sielski wrote it called The Rise of Kobe Bryant. And he actually puts it in, I don't know what chapter it's in, but the book's going on sale in like two weeks. Um, there's there's a time, I think it was early in 11th grade, and just me and Coach Downer were, were in there. I wasn't a member of the Lower Marine staff yet. I was there because I was, I was falling around Kobe because I knew this incredible phenom was in my backyard and nobody knew about him and nobody was listening to me about him Isaac I was telling people about Kobe Bryant and people were very skeptical but I remember when when Greg Downer just turned to me and he was he was just firing up shots or dunking or something and he just looked at me and goes does anybody else know that Michael Jordan is in our gym right now and it was just such a line that it was like because I felt the same way it was like the next great one is right here, and I, you know, I, I never left the guy. I, you know, once I met him, I, I wanted to find different ways to be part of his life, and he made my TV career because the high school sports show happened to ironically start 1994-95. So when I pitched myself to get on the show as a reporter, my first TV job, they asked me, "Do you have any good high school stories?" We understand you're the high school guy around here, and I tell them all about Kobe Bryant. And they were the first ones to listen to me. So all of Kobe's first NBA stories, I mean, first uh, TV stories, radio stories, uh, newspaper stories, uh, I was lucky enough to do them all. Um, but yes, I, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm a know-it-all, but I definitely thought he was headed for major, major start. Well, if I could, because we, we kind of agreed on a, a kind of a cadence here. Um Isaac and then Theodore and then me, but I, I got to piggyback off of that uh, question because I, th I thought it was a really great question. Uh, I'm an LA guy. I, I got to, you know, kind of experience, you know, the rise of Kobe here in LA as a, as a Laker fan, uh, watched him um, live uh, more than a few times, um, which, you know, puts me in, in, in rare air for these young guys. You know, they, they always in shock that I actually got to, to, to actually watch Kobe play live I, you're in rare air with me because you actually knew the guy, which blows my mind. But when, when he came here to LA, we didn't know who he was, right? Jerry West um, made a trade with the Hornets, brought him in uh, the same time the team, you know, they blew up the team to get, to get Shaq. And, and then Shaq was saying, you know, we got this young kid, Kobe. He came out and he, he struggled uh, initially. Um, 
before he, you know, but you, you, you could always tell there was something special about this kid. Uh, I think everybody knew it from, from the beginning. But my question is, you know, Jerry West, um, Jerry West, you know, the logo, he's, he's had great success in LA, Memphis with the Clippers. Now he's, he's been really good at building teams everywhere he goes. Did you have any, any interactions with, with Jerry West um, when they were scouting Kobe um, or did you two never cross paths? Um, I crossed paths with Jerry West twice, uh, but not during this part. I actually, I was an NBA writer for Athlon Magazine um, for a few years. And I'm thinking I did a story with Jerry West a couple years before and a couple years after. But I was privy to this information, what was going on, because Kobe's dad, Joe Bryant, was really my best friend in sports from 1992 to 2001. And we talked about once a week. So he was kind of uh, my conduit to what was going on. And, you know, I had an inside track. Um, and when I knew he was going from high school in the NBA, I, was, I started to work on a book on Kobe myself and did all these inter did interviews. The tapes you alluded to were from that. And so I, I knew what was going on. I knew he was getting an exclusive tryout for Jerry West, and I heard he killed it. And to, to look out for a trade for the Lakers. But I didn't know it was going to actually happen. I mean, it, it happened like a literally like a Hollywood dream, a Hollywood movie. And you said it was a kind of a secret tryout? No, it wasn't a secret. I think people knew about it in the industry, but. Uh, I mean, it wasn't advertised. What I'm saying, there was no, there was no newspaper articles about it um, that right. I that I could recall. I mean, a little later on there were, but not not until after the fact. Um, I mean, the net the Nets were were thinking about him in eight Sixers uh, ended up getting the first pick, and there were some there were some rumors that they would trade down and take Kobe. Um, I, I think the I think. The Bryant Martin Tellum agent uh, team pretty much had said uh, he wasn't. He didn't try out for almost any team except maybe New Jersey, Philly, and L.A. And that was kind of known. But like you said, most people didn't know who Bryant was. Yeah. It was. Kind of a new thing. Kevin Garnett had jumped the year before, but you know, I, I don't think many people were like thinking like this high school player from Lawrence, Pennsylvania was going to be the next great thing. But I mean, with Garnett and Kobe back to back years, and then McGrady the year after, um, you know, it was three Hall of Fame. I don't know if McGrady's in the Hall of Fame, but I mean, three three great ones right there. Yeah, and if I remember right, he was the first guard, you know, to really have some success coming out of high school. Right, the bigs came out, um, but no, you know, guard and Kobe had a ever guard it. had ever done it, including the '70s when Moses Malone and Bill Willoughby had right. done. It. So he was, yeah. So no, no guard had ever done it. Yeah. Outstanding. Oh, that's great information. Thank you so much. Got another question from online. I'm going to go ahead and, and pop it up here. Uh, Elliot Edelman. That name looks familiar. I've seen many interviews where Kobe was so impressive discussing business or philosophy, especially since he didn't go to college. It's so impressive. He was such a bright guy. Did you notice any of that early on? Uh, I did. I did. Um, great question, Elliot. Elliot, 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 do you happen to know who this is, Isaac? Kind of, not really. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I actually know who Elliot is. Okay, so, um, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, he was so bright, so smart, and I was doing all his first interviews, and then when I started uh, transcribing these tapes of these interviews I did um, of him when I, when I was trying to do a book, and, you know, it, like you said, it became a national story because I found these tapes and Mike Sielski brought it to his attention and it was on a podcast. And you listen and like that kid 17. I mean, yeah, he had a he had a, a great way of looking at things and you really can learn a lot of, a lot from him. a lot of people said, hey, you were so cool when you were younger. You got to like be a mentor to Kobe. And I, I go, honestly, it was the other way around. I, I learned I learned more being around Kobe about working hard, about working hard academically, about working hard, making your family great, working hard, you know, making a basketball team great and working hard, getting yourself in the NBA at age 17. Um, but yes, I, I knew he spoke Spanish. I knew he spoke Italian. 
Um, you'll, you'll see all my first TV interviews. You just listen to him. There wasn't one um, um, no nervousness being interviewed. It was natural. Um, so, yes, I can say outside of being a great basketball player, I think everybody knew how bright he was. Plus, I knew he had a, you know, a very good SAT score. He would have got, if he was, if his name was Bob Bryant and didn't play basketball, he would have got into two. So, yeah, we, we kind of knew. He was no dummy. Uh, now, I, I do have a follow-up question for that. Obviously, Kobe didn't go to college. He went straight to the NBA. And when you discuss, you know, the skill that he had public speaking. I have speaking, a feeling this is a good question. Keep going. Yeah. You know, when you talk about public speaking and his SATs, SAT score, did you have a feeling that he would go straight to the NBA? Or should I say, did you have any input in, in that happening? Um, I had as much input as that happening as Theodore Fernandez did. But... <laughs> I did know about it. So you, uh, he, he, he told me. Him and his dad told me, um, I think, before the season started. So that's why that was one of the reasons uh, they wanted me aboard. I mean, there was, there was family reasons. There was coaching reasons. And there was the press, the press reasons that were going to be coming up because Greg Downer uh, knew that somebody was going to have to deal, spend a lot of time dealing with inquiries about Kobe Bryant. So that's kind of, you know, helped me get get in there as well and be part of the staff and have that role. Um, I, I wouldn't have known that had, had he not told me. I wouldn't have known it had Joe not told me. I, I wasn't thinking that when the year started. I, I had no idea, like, he was going to go from high school to the NBA. But I don't – I think it was over the summer or early in the fall. You know, I was one of maybe the worst – the first uh, – five, ten people in the inner circle to know. And a few months later, it, I think people started to catch on. Like, wait, he's not committing to LaSalle. He's not committing anywhere. He's not taking trips. And this became a big national story as the season went along. And then during the playoffs, it became crazy. And still, you know, he hadn't committed anywhere postseason. Didn't, didn't do the press conference till May. And I think at that time, most people figured out, wow, he's, he's really going to jump from high school to the NBA. Um, it was, it, was, it was kind of a yeah, it was a huge story, huge. So, uh, Jeremy, so we all yes. know that for holding his teammates to an incredibly high standard, which you kind of alluded to with the story of the practice being canceled and him being the only one willing to stay. And we also know how Kobe has reacted at times where his teammates didn't meet his standards. With an example like that, um, Charmin soft practice back in 2014 with the Lakers. Did you see any resentment between Kobe and his teammates or any tension or feelings of, you know, um, jealousy from his teammates towards Kobe? Did um, the standard that Kobe demanded ever get in the way? Great question, questions. It's hard to answer uh, because there was a, a, maybe a little bit of all of it and then, but mostly none of it. So uh, let me try and explain. Um, I don't think most of the teammates, first of all, there were there were four new coaches, uh, three new coaches on board, including myself. And the, 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 the point guard was new. Um, there were like five returning players and then maybe eight or nine new varsity players for that year. Um, and I don't think anybody outside of Kobe really, really among the players thought maybe his good friend, Jermaine Griffin, uh, really thought state championship or bust, you know, we're, we're thinking like that all summer into the year. Um, we stumbled in the beginning cause we were playing a ridiculous non league schedule and went down to South Carolina and played in this beach ball classic, had a 15-point lead late in the fourth quarter, choked it away, lost the game in overtime. Kobe had fouled out, and the coach assembled all the team in the locker room, and he just went through every single person. He criticized everybody, including Kobe. He brought up what you just said about, and I remember him saying, you got, none of you have any idea the pressure Kobe Bryant is under. And Kobe, you got to understand these. You got to have a little more passion, um, compassion for these teammates. 
and you guys have to work hard and, 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 and work hard uh, the way Kobe Bryant is and start fixing some of these, these mental gaps in your game. I mean, he called, he called everybody out for a 33-year-old coach. I thought that was, that was Coach Greg Downer's shining moment. He just took charge of the team that night. And I remember Kobe applauding. I remember everybody applauding. He had every single, he went through every single person, told them what your role is going to be and how you're supposed to behave and what this team was about. To this, to, to the, the whole cliche, no I in team th- speech. And if there was any of it before that, there was none the rest of the way. And we won. We went from four and three to 31 and three. Won 27 straight games up here. Um, so I, I think there may have been, a, you know, a tad of jealousy, a tad of fear, uh, especially Rob Schwartz had fear that day where he didn't pass him the ball. Obviously, I think he's still scared. You know, 20 some years later, he's still hiding in his, his cubby somewhere. But um, I, I, I mean, you, you're right. That's a fine line. It was, it was a little, you know, it's a little tense for coach. Oh my God, we got the number one player in the country here, and. You know, the little of that I did on the coaching part, I, I was a tad nervous because I didn't want to screw up the, the little part that was mine. And I think everybody felt they had to be at a high standard. Um, I think it was subconscious. I don't think, though, Theodore was something that was discussed, you know, outside of that one speech that Coach Downer made. But that, that's a great question. Isaac, why can't you ask great questions like that? <laughs> kidding, Isaac. Your questions are great, too. Let me take this time uh, just to to thank the Basketball Podcast Network and our sponsor, DraftKings. Another reminder to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. That's TBPN. We're excited to be a part of the Basketball Podcast Network and for DraftKings sponsorship of tonight's special show with some great questions and a couple of mediocre ones. But uh, that's that's. (laughs) <laughs> These guys know me. I'm a jokester. They, they've known me for most of their childhood. I have a quick follow-up question, Jeremy. Was, oh, was, Kobe, was Kobe a jokester in high school? Or was he very serious? Hmm. Okay, that, that, now that is a great question. <laughs> now, you, now, you, now, Theodore, why can't you ask a great question? All right. Um, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you two points in the peach basket for that one. You got two points for your previous question. Okay, I... He was both like, like he, he could, he could be fun and, but not doing the drill, not doing the games. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you have to choose, choose your moments with Kobe. Yes. He, he could be a fun guy. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, is he as serious as everybody's made him out to be over the last 25 years? No, I, I think more in the NBA. Yes. I think more in the NBA more. Uh, but at the high school level, I mean, you, you won't find a more serious high school basketball player than Kobe Bryant was. But could you crack a joke? Could, could he laugh? Sure, he would. And a lot of people have this impression like he was a stone-faced guy and, you know, he didn't didn't get along with people and he was not a normal student. All that stuff is complete garbage. He was a very popular student at Lower Marion High School. He had lots of friends. It took him a while, the first couple of years, you know, coming from Italy, um, he didn't know slang. He was mixing in with, uh, you know, a multicultural community with uh, Jewish students and uh, Catholic students and black students and all that was born to him, you know, coming from Italy from ages four to 12. He was basically, you know, learning, learning American culture and, and all those cultures within American culture. Um, so, but he definitely had fun and he had friends. He definitely enjoyed the ride. A lot of people think that he didn't enjoy the ride with five NBA titles and he didn't enjoy the ride with the Lumberman basketball title. I'm here to tell you from my angle that none of that's true. Let me take you back now to, I guess, when, when you started covering basketball. I've been watching basketball for, for a while and I, I – you know, I see how the game has changed in the NBA. Um, yeah. And I'm not talking just rule changes. I, I'm talking, you know, um, you know I, I think, you know, the art of boxing out is, is kind of, you know, kind of gone. It's, it's not what it used to be. Uh, what have you seen watching and being so intimately involved in the game for, you know, the decades that you have? What's the biggest change that you've seen in the game um, from the time you started 
through to today? I mean, good change or bad change, I guess. But what what, what you change? Talk, you talking NBA, college, high school, basketball in general? Yeah, that that's a great question to my question. Uh, I, I I mean, I, I guess really I'm, I'm asking NBA, but it really could be just basketball in general. Um, okay, well, I, I definitely have something that just jumps to mind, and that's just the advent of the three-point shot. Sure. And, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, to where it is today, where the NBA has become – NBA went from like a center-dominated league to then a pick-and-roll league to now – now it's like get a get a distributor and have three people standing behind the perimeter and able to knock in threes and you could have a team like that without a dominating center and win three titles like the Golden State Warriors have done um, with shooters that <laughs> shoot the ball five feet behind the line like in, like it's nothing so like like with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and players like that so I think that has definitely changed the game um, and I think you know when we thought Larry Bird was this great three-point shooter, then we thought Ray Allen and Reggie Miller were changing the game. But I think Steph Curry, um, next to LeBron and Kobe, has, has changed the game the most in the last since Michael Jordan days. But that's definitely number one. Um, I have to think on a couple others, but that that one really really comes to the forefront about how people want spacing and shooters now. <laughs> It's funny watching. Also, the game is definitely not as physical. I, you know, I like the I like the Michael Jordan era with the Knicks and the Bulls and the Pistons and the Lakers and the Celtics and the Sixers and the way they were knocking each other around. You go in the paint, you know, you're, if you start scoring at will, you're gonna you're gonna get punished. Uh, you know, now now they call flagrant fouls and on things that, yeah, they, yeah, by by the letter of the law, yeah, they're flagrant, but. Uh, it's not as physical a game anymore, which which may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't, know. you know that you know Isaac's not going to get hurt playing ball, you know, in the fall here, so in the spring here, so that's a good thing. Yeah, back then, um, you know, that was the era of the seventy nine to seventy two games, right? When, um, yeah, if, uh, I mean, there was no such thing as an easy layup. Uh, you just weren't given those. Um, because you were fouled hard. Looking now at the games in the '80s, um, you know it's 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 just it's it's mind-boggling when you watch it. Um, it's exactly you know what what you mentioned. I, I think of the Lakers. I mean, that's always and that's where I started falling in love with the game. And and the game was all about Kareem. Everything just went into Kareem. Um, you know, and he, and he would take his high, his, his sky hook and, and, you know, game was over. They would always start with their fast break and then they would go in to Kareem, but the game was played in the paint. Um, and now it's, you know, it's, it's not, um, some people have said, you know, that's, it's bad for the game. Three point shots, bad for the game. I mean, do you have an opinion one way or the other, or do you think it's just the evolution of the game? I think it's the evolution of the game. Um, in some ways, you know, you know, we heard over the last 20 years, you know, these kids can't shoot anymore. These players can't shoot anymore. So I think it's good that, you know, players can shoot now. And, you know, if you're a small forward or even a power forward or even a center, you're, you're expected to make jump shots. Joel, Joel Embiid's seven foot two. He plays for my hometown 76ers. And at the end of the game, he's, he's taking shots that Kobe, LeBron, or, or Michael Jordan would take. I don't necessarily like it. I'm from a seven foot two guy, but that is where the game has evolved. I don't necessarily have an opinion. I, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with people who can knock down 23, 24 foot jump shots with people with hands in their face. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. Theodore had, had a 30 footer at camp one year. It was pretty impressive. One of the highlights of my career. <laughs> uh, speaking of three pointers, as we're talking about um, evolution of the game kobe's career three-point percentage sits at under 33 percent meanwhile last season the average across the league was just shy of 37 percent do you think kobe could still be just as dominant in today's three-pointer oriented nba because it has changed greatly since he retired in 2016 do you think he'd find a way to improve his three and if he didn't do you think he'd still be just as good Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, we're still in the same era that Kobe played in. I mean, he was a little bit different player in his last five years than in his first 13 or 15. But, yeah, so, so Kobe's percentage is a little skewed because, uh, you know, he, he takes a lot of shots. 
took a lot of shots. And the more shots you take, unless you're Steph Curry, your percentage is going to go down unless you're center, in my opinion. Um, but his his percentage on threes in clutch situations or end of quarters, end of games, uh, I don't have that in front of me. But I, I know, I know I've discussed this with some analytical people that it was closer to 40%. And I mean, he, everybody talks about you want to, you want someone to shoot at the end of a game. Uh, you want Kobe Bryant. And at, at, our, at camp, as you know, we, we argue Kobe versus Michael, Kobe versus LeBron, LeBron versus Jordan. You know, some, some people will throw Will Chamberlain and people in for, you know, greatest players ever. And this always comes up. I, I want Kobe to take my shot at the end of the game. I don't want LeBron. Maybe people will say Michael Jordan. Um, so, yeah, he was not a great three-point shooter when just on strictly percentages. Is he as good a shooter as Steph Curry, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Larry Bird? No. No. Is he a better basketball player? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, Larry Bird, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. I mean, that's the level he's on, you know, in my opinion, somewhere between four and 12. Um, so, but absolutely, he would be the same dominant Kobe Bryant, same superstar Kobe Bryant if he was in his prime today. Let's go back to uh, Tom, who's got another question uh, from Facebook. Uh, some of this we've already touched on, but the second question we haven't, what are some of the best and favorite memories of Kobe Bryant? And do you feel that Kobe would have made a great head coach in the NBA? A <laughs> face says it all. <laughs> That's a perplexing question. I'm going to answer your second question first. Uh, about the uh, head coach in the NBA. We've discussed this. Um, often the really great players are not good coaches. Magic Johnson didn't have much success. Larry Bird did have some success. Bill Russell won a championship as a head coach. Uh, there, you know, part of me and part of what people think is Kobe Bryant would be so demanding and would get so upset about, you know, people's work ethic or making mistakes, mental mistakes. Uh, he, he might be too difficult to play for. Uh, but part of me also thinks that's uh, certain players would thrive in that. And part of me also changed my mind. Um, I didn't know him that well personally during this time, but just seeing the way he was coaching the girls at the Mambo Academy and his daughter, I, I, I saw I saw a different Kobe. I saw a Kobe that could have been a great head coach. I think knowledge-wise, strategy-wise, brains, and practices and work ethics and working on drills, I think he'd be fantastic. Uh, I, I think some people might be intimidated. Um, sure. But it's, it, that's a tough one. That's, that's, I think that's a case-by-case, player-by-player situation. Some, it's like some people can play for Phil Jackson, some can't. Some can play for Red Auerbach, some couldn't. I think it would be the same thing. It's Tom Thibodeau at, at, at the next. Some people thrive with them. Some people just want to get out of town the first week they're with them. You know, when I talk to NBA people, uh, I think Kobe would be one of those guys. But I think the players who really wanted to be good and wanted to win a title, I think Kobe could have got that done. I mean, Kobe has one goal, to be the best at anything he does. So I think he would have found a way to win an NBA championship as a coach. Um, but I, I don't think it would have happened immediately. I think I think he would have had to find his way because um, he actually had no had, had no no NBA coaching experience or college coaching experience or high school coaching experience since he had retired from the NBA. So I, I think it would have taken a little while. But I I do think I do think he would have been great. And best memories, favorite memories, of Kobe Bryant. Um, I mean, for me, just like the, the simple times, just 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 being able to talk to him or rebound for him or, uh, you know, doing his first TV interview with, was, was special, doing his first radio interview, writing my first article, having him sit down in the weight room when he was in the ninth grade, I think, and then Lord Moraine and just see a young, earnest Kobe Bryant just telling me some of his dreams and, and it's just so, just so fun to get to know him. Um, I loved being around his family. His parents were fantastic people, his sisters, I just loved being around that family. They were Super, super tight. Um, okay, here's here's a, here's a good memory. Um, he came back to Lower Marion High School sometime during a break, during his first year in the league. <laughs> and I found myself at a practice for the girls. And next thing I know, 
it was six or seven varsity girls playing full full court. Well, full court in the smaller gym against me and Kobe. Now that was fun. <laughs> uh, we played uh, like two on seven for ten minutes, and I. I mean, he was dribbling through five of them. He was trying his hardest. He he doesn't know how to clown around. I mean, he was trying his hardest. And he, he gave me this pass. There were five people guarding him, and I was wide open or something. And I missed the layup, and he just yelled, sup? And it was so funny. And then another time, uh, they came down, and I don't know, some girl faked him, and he jumped, and uh, she missed the shot, but, uh, but another girl got offensive rebound put it in. And I yelled, stop, and he just fell down laughing. So there's your answer, Isaac. Did he laugh and have fun? Yeah. And was that a fun moment? That That's a moment I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's a really great moment. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, setting up the high school games between Bronny James, LeBron's son, and LeBron's alma mater? Yeah, so um, I've, been, I've been putting together high school basketball classics since uh, January 2nd, 2000. So about 22 years now and got 139 NBA players playing my events. Um, I really got these ideas from sitting next to Kobe when we went down to Mer- uh, sometime during that senior year, there were, there's, there was, there was a newspaper article that said Kobe's going to visit North Carolina and Duke. And looking at Kobe, I'm like, why? The Kobe's like, what? I go, you didn't visit anybody, right? He goes, no, I go, I'm, I'm not visiting anywhere. I'm not talking to anybody. <laughs> And I'm like, and I was like, wow, we could, we, you know, if, if he was going to consider North Carolina or commit to North Carolina, we could have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, could have sold out the Dean Dome. Uh, maybe it was, was the Dean Dome there back back then? I think it was. I think it was. And so I was, I was thinking, uh, I, I, I remember thinking that, oh, wow, we could have sold out Duke, North Carolina, and just played a game against a local team there. And I never forgot that. And I, you know, it became a business model for me like four or five years, you know, after that. Um, what was your original question? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, you you basically answered some of it, but just you know, the process of setting oh, up Bronny okay. James. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So then, so so then the LeBron James thing happened, and I'd heard about this guy, LeBron James, and this was still pre-internet. No, no, the internet was out there, but it wasn't like like it was now. So this was like. And I heard LeBron was playing in an event in Delaware. So the high school sports show, I told him about LeBron. And they had me do the high school sports show that I was originally on in 1994 in Philly. And now expanded all over the country. And they had a national show. Uh, they, they beat expanded to the punch on a, on, a, on a high school show. And I got to do the first interview on LeBron then. And then I watched him play. And I remember watching him. And I... I called Coach Downer. <clears throat> I said, this may be sacrilegious, but I think I'm seeing a player who's as good or maybe better than Kobe. And he's in 11th grade and saying this is St. Mary. I cannot believe what I'm seeing here. He had some kind of reverse dunk move that I, I've never seen. And so I started, you know, I was already in my third year doing these events. So I, I, was in, I inquired about them and how, how they do their schedule. And Thing, things got crazy there, just like they got crazy for Lower Marine in 95, 96. They went through their third athletic director because people didn't want it. They couldn't deal with the LeBron hysteria in Ohio. And a new coach was coming in. And somehow I got I, I, I talked to the coach. I got him on the phone and I said, uh, you know, I'd like to uh, make a proposal to, to do some games the next year. He says, what do you have in mind? I said, I said, well, how about playing? I, I had written out a thing. I said, how about playing a game in North Carolina? How about playing a game at Duke? How about playing a game at Madison Square Garden? How about playing a game at, at Ohio State? How about playing a game at the Palestra in Philadelphia? It's it's quiet for like three seconds. I go, okay, this was a Hail Mary. I guess a coach is going to say no now. And he goes, did you say the Palestra? I said, yeah. He goes, I've always wanted to play at the Palestra. I said, I'll have a, I'll have a, I'll have a fax on your desk tomorrow and called me up and they did like four games with me. I said the palestra and coach Drew Joyce, who's still the coach and was at my event yesterday in Cleveland, St. Vincent St. Mary played at my event yesterday in Cleveland. And uh, that, that was the start of a 20 some year relationship. 
So all these years later, when I see Bronny James, I've been tracking him. And when he switched, when we finally figured out what high school he's going to be at Sierra Canyon as a freshman, I had this idea. Well, Sierra Canyon should should come to Ohio and play LeBron's old school where he was going to go to school. Had LeBron not moved, not signed with the Lakers and moved to, to, to L.A. And so, so LeBron's old school um, agreed to do it. But now I had the cold call. I didn't know anybody at Sierra Canyon. And I was trying and trying and trying. And I got one athletic director to say, maybe, maybe, maybe we've got to get this information to the coach. And one day the coach called and said, hey, uh, we're, we're interested in doing this. Uh, talk to LeBron. They want, you know, I talked to LeBron. They want to come back. And that game just, that, that, that was my biggest game in years and years and years and years. Pre-COVID, it was, it was awesome. Awesome. And, you know, just to stick on the topic of LeBron James, he posted about you on Instagram. Um, you know, what was your reaction? And just for reference to the people watching, it was a post showing two pictures of Jeremy, yourself, with LeBron when he was in high school, and then you with his son, Bronny. So just what was your reaction? Obviously, LeBron is famous, millions of followers on Instagram, and the post was directly towards you. It was a very cool moment, but since uh, since I'm an old dinosaur and I don't know, I didn't know what Instagram was. I didn't know what was going on. No, I did know what was going on. So so I so my guy was helping me in social media. I started I've started to get help over the last five years because the social media thing has blown up. And I, I know you have to have a good Instagram and Twitter for your businesses and stuff. So as you guys know, we have Jenna at camp who does that for us. And. <clears throat> I got somebody to help me with the with Twitter and Instagram specifically for this event, and he we were talking at the. I was telling him he he was in Philadelphia. I was telling him what was happening. He was like, "This is amazing, Bronny got the MVP. I just got a picture with him." And he said, "Wait, you got that picture with the MVP with 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 LeBron, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Send me both right now." So I sent him I sent him both pictures, and bam, he put it up, and then. I called Willie McGee, who was the athletic director at St. Vincent St. Mary, and he's also one of LeBron's best friends. The original five starters from from the from the the movie um, More Than a Team. I go, Willie, uh, send this to LeBron right now. Send it to LeBron right now. I think it was like a couple hours after the after I left the stadium. He texted LeBron the picture, and bam, I, you, you saw what he posted. Only thing is, I wish he had said Jeremy Treatment or Play by Play Classics, but he said the same guy. Who, yeah. who gave me an MVP trophy in 2003, just gave one to my son, surreal, best moment in my life or something. So, uh, you know, that was that was a magical moment. That, that absolutely was magical. And, and Jordan, let me just tell you something. Based on that post, and I think anyone that saw that post could relate, if you went up to LeBron, I'm pretty sure, I may be wrong, I'm pretty sure LeBron would, would just recognize you because... Oh, no, he knows, he knows me. Yeah, 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 but basically, you know, when he has so many people around him, he's gonna spot you, Jeremy. You're that special. He's gonna spot you. In between all the paparazzi, he's no, no. Gonna I, spot I, you. I'm gonna tell you. So we were on the court. So the picture. There were some other pictures we took that night after the game, and I had told Willie McGee that I I want a picture of me and the and the starting five from from St. Vincent St. Mary when you guys all played with me back in 2003, and he said, yeah, 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 we'll we'll get it, and he looked at me when we were on the court and we were. You know, I was like in the vicinity of the four of them were taking pictures. And I he looked at me, he gave me a nod, and I just went for it. I said, 2003 reunion picture. And LeBron goes, everyone in the picture with Jeremy. Oh, that was that was incredible. So so he 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 did. I mean that that was that was very special. So you've um so Jeremy, you've got into witness all these young high school stars for years yeah. now. Yep. There are a lot of people who believe that the huge rise in AAU basketball has softened a lot of young players. And um, the incident a few nights ago, which I'm sure you're aware of, where um, Kevin Porter Jr., a young player on the Rockets, you know, exited the arena over a dispute, has kind of, you know, proven them right in a way have you personally noticed a difference you know in the players attitudes or egos over the history of this event the the, the kevin porter event no 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 over the um history of you you know running the, these high oh. school events 
So you're saying, uh, do I see kids being different or softer because of the AAU thing? Yes, exactly. Do you think it's had any effect on players? Absolutely. Let me uh, let me um, pardon my ignorance. Tell me about the Kevin Porter Jr. thing. What happened? Well, essentially, there was um, a dispute involving another player on the game who on the team rather who um, violated COVID protocol and was getting benched. Kevin Porter Jr. did not like this. Got into a dispute with the coach, and ultimately stormed out and left the arena mid-game. You're talking Kevin Porter Jr. on the Houston Rockets? And yes, that's what he Yeah, somehow I missed this. Uh, so he did kind of what Antonio Brown did? He just stormed off the court? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, well, AAU is a problem because parents parents have become a problem. Um, they just don't accept coaching uh, the, the way we used, used it used to be. So, and, and what's happening is there's too, so many people in these kids' ears that if you don't get playing time in your AAU game, then you're all Ohio Red. You'll, you'll read in the paper or on Twitter five minutes later that so-and-so switched to this team. Um, and then it happens at, the, at high schools too. And the states or the associations that don't have the transfer rule that let people jump. And during COVID, you know, you know, you saw what happened in college for the first time. You don't have to sit out a year and the transfer portal in college football and college basketball exploded. And it's it's hard to keep track of all these players. Um, yes, that climate where if you don't get what you want right away, you don't get what you want right away. You do something else instead of work hard to to, to better your situation and work it out. You know, you're a freshman at Kentucky, you're a freshman here. You don't get the playing time. You didn't get the results you wanted. You blame it. You blame it on the coach and the system and this. You blame it on everything else but yourself. And I don't know if that's part of the AAU um, experience that has rubbed off on these kids, but it has definitely. It's definitely part of the culture now, and it's not something I like at, at any of these levels: AAU, high school, college, even NBA. You know. It, you know, you see these NBA athletes acting like like brats when when they they should be more grateful of the situation they're in. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm sure the AAU influence has a lot to do with it. People people fight over kids way too much, and just I, I I just hope that everybody has the kids' best interest at heart. And I I, I think a lot of those parents are, are messing up, not intentionally. But, you know, these are human beings and these kids first, and they, they need to be treated with respect and, and let them grow up and mature organically and naturally. And, and I think we are hurting kids by putting too much pressure on them and by removing them from situations just because you don't get the result you want right away. And that's bad. At Lower Marine High School, I can tell you that that's a place that has a culture where kids you know, they play ninth grade basketball, they play JV 10th grade, 11th grade, they're in varsity, they don't play much. And 12th grade, Coach Downer always has some 12th grader come out of nowhere and become the glue player, the fifth the fifth uh, starter, the sixth man. And, you know, you know, the coaches that can do that and mold players and develop people, and the college coaches can do that and that have the respect for parents and kids don't bolt they're the ones who are going to succeed in this environment. Well, we've talked about a lot because um, there's obviously a lot to talk about when we look at your career in the game. The one thing we haven't talked about um, was kind of what, what brought us together. And, and it's something I'm curious about, and that's the play-by-play uh, broadcasting camps. And forgive me if I got the name wrong, uh, Isaac and Theodore, both attended. Theodore apparently hit a long shot there. If there's no video, I won't believe it. Yeah, that, um, that, was, that, that was made up. <laughs> but I, I, we're, we're, we're just about, uh, you know, at one hour. I was hoping we could finish with, with you just telling me and, and everybody who's listening um, a little bit more about that. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. Um, I know Isaac wants to make that his career, and, I would, and I'm certain it's going to work out for him um he's got that mamba mentality when it comes to sports uh, broadcasting 
what's your passion there? What got you started there? And, and tell us a little bit more about those camps. Yeah, I appreciate that. That that really is my you know life passion. That was to be a play-by-play -play announcer. So I grew up uh, listening to ha the late great Harry Callis do Phillies games on the radio and television. That's who I wanted to be. I simulated, made my own shows, and that's what I really deep down always wanted to do. And it took me to transferring to the Temple University in the middle of my junior year of college to start working towards towards that that dream. I, I, I got started out as a sports writer to build up Inquirer, but I was broadcasting for Temple basketball and uh, I had on the 76ers beat and the Eagles beat. Um, so as a young kid, uh, you know, uh, 19, 20 years old, you know, in the locker rooms, interviewing Larry Bird, Maddie Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, with this great opportunity that Temple's radio station gave me. That's what I always wanted to do. So one day, you know, one day I, in the 90s, I was thinking, late 90s, uh, I, I have this idea to go to sports broadcasting camp, and I, I, I got to think there's, there's millions of kids just like me who aren't good enough to be uh, paid athletes um, or even scholarship athletes who just want to be around the games and want to be broadcasters and want to be the next Kenny Albert and Marv Albert. Dick Enberg and Bob Costas and all these great people, Kevin Harlan types, and, uh, Jim Nance. So I, I had this idea. I held it in my head for about five years. And then summer 2002, I, I rolled out a three-day workshop at Vermont College in Philly. Um, it worked very well. 71 kids came. Um, the next year, uh, I did it again, and 124 kids came. Uh, the guy was helping me, uh, that I shared an office with, my friend Steve. Uh, I then said, hey, hey I think we should partner up and it's all over the country. I, I, there's no reason why these won't be successful in, in, in every every city. And we've been working on that for the last uh, 17 years. And COVID has kind of messed up these last two years, but we've had about 7,000 kids go through the program. Uh, Isaac and the, you guys actually look familiar. Did you guys go to the camps? So, uh, so uh, Isaac and uh, the, or you know, I've just been with camp. Isaac's been going since uh, he's five, so he's been going for about eighteen years now. And um, so, it's just been incredible. I mean, the play, the play by play sports broadcast the camps. It's just been incredible. I mean, the, the, I had no idea it was developing into like a, a family, like a culture. So it's like we we call it the uh, you know. SBC, the SBC family, Sports Broadcasting Camp family. Uh, we've got about 150 alumni doing incredible things in the field, including Scott Braun at the MLB Network. And Adam Lefko is now hosting a show with Shaq on TNT. And uh, he was at our first camp in 2002. I'm like, that's that's little Adam Lefko. And he, you know, he's 38 years old right now and he's killing it. And uh, Sarah Barshop and Courtney Cronin are on ESPN. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and we'll see Isaac and Theodore, uh, you know, taking your spot and running this peach basket in a few years, and uh, you know, you know, people are succeeding, and it's not just, it's not just, you know, getting a job and broadcasting. I mean, for some people, it's just fun. Like Isaac's brother went to camp and he had fun for a few years, but it wasn't his passion. But I really feel that it's self-confidence camp, self-esteem camp. That's what it secretly is. We give kids the opportunity to feel confident in front of the peers and speak in public and, you know, put yourself in front of a camera and gain a lot of confidence. And you use that in all facets of your life. You know, I, I was a late bloomer. I was a late bloomer with confidence. You know, that story I told you, the Inquirer High School Sports Show on Fox, I was 36 years old when I got on TV. Uh, I'm sorry, I was 28 years old. I started the events at 33 and I started the camps at 36. But I wasn't 20 or 21 or 22. You know, 23 like these guys will have these guys will have jobs in a few years you know i didn't really get into the business until I was in my 30s so uh so the, yeah, that's some of the story so if you want to check out playbyplaycamps.com um we, we you know COVID doesn't ruin things and i don't think it will we're, we're supposed to be in 14 cities this summer we've added three cities um and we also have virtual programs which both isaac and theodore have done in the past uh, we also have an adult school. We also have an advanced workshop. Um, did you go one year, Theodore? I've not gone yet. I hope to soon, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I, maybe we were talking about that. Um, 
So we have a lot of incredible programs. Like I said, I think it's somewhere between 70,000 uh, students have gone through the program, a lot of kids. And you know, I'm very proud and, you know, to have mentored kids and that's really become my life's goal. So I, I love both play-by-play -play classics and the play-by-play -play camps and playbyplayclassics.com. You can get our schedule. We got, if COVID doesn't ruin everything, I got a game with Ronnie James this Friday in New Orleans. So I'll be getting on playing Thursday. It'll be on ESPN U2 or maybe the regular one. I, I'm not exactly positive. It's against Peyton Manning's nephew. And then there's four games with Mikey Williams uh, coming up. One's in Dayton, one's in Cleveland, one's in North Carolina, and one's in Reading, PA. So we got some big ones left. and pretty excited about it. Outstanding. Well, I, I agree with you. I think Isaac and Theodore both uh, are, are absolutely going to excel. Uh, they're both so polished, and I think that's a big part of, you know, more, more than likely what they learned at camp. I did want to call out that we have another contributor, Ben Myers, who is also a part of the camp as well. Apparently, unfortunately, he couldn't be with us tonight. Tried to get him here. What's but, Ben Myers uh, doing? Uh, aside from, you know, what he's doing with us, he's covering the Knicks. Uh, for us, uh, outside of that, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, he, was, awesome. he yeah. said he was a counselor, right, at the camp? He was. He was a camper and a counselor, both New Jersey and Atlanta, I think. And I think he came out to Los Angeles with us one year as a counselor and Philly. <laughs> Funny guy. Funny guy. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you laugh. <laughs> hey, ben, Isaac, Theater, they all got looks, too. Like, I, I, you know, I wasn't blessed with the looks, been getting on TV, but you know, that'll help. Yeah, face for radio, right? I, I, I understand how that works. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough. This was wonderful. Um, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you to all who watched, all who listened, all who participated. A very special thank you again to Jeremy Treatman for taking the time to be with us tonight. We'll be back next week with our regular Run It Back NBA Week in Review show. Thank you again. Drop a bounce pass, throw down the rim rocker. Lay up off the glass right past the shot blocker. I follow through like Kobe's money. You can cash it. For news on LA hoops, come over to Peach Basket. Up to date sports, post game reports, debates and play by play coming straight off the court. The voice of the fan making noise, causing havoc. Zone a man up, you can ask Peach Basket. The Peach Basket. Coming tune on that, the Peach Basket, where the news begins. We're dropping news like we're in the stands. Creative views from the average fans.